I am the creator as well. I am God. I am goddess. And also I am part of the whole. Yeah. So back to creativity as a form of activism. I feel like, you know, especially when society has marginalized you to actually step into that flow of, no, I'm the creator is this hugely empowering place and is very expansive. Welcome to Wayward Bodies, a show about our bodies and the messy places that they meet the world. I'm your host, Ellie Bauer-Johnston. Each episode, we'll be exploring embodiment, body liberation, creativity, healing, and how we can start to show up as our whole selves. Hello. Hello and welcome to Wayward Bodies. I'm your host, Ellie Bauer-Johnston. I'm an embodiment guide, a breath worker and rest teacher, and an all-round body witch. And I'm so glad that you're here with me this afternoon or this evening or this morning, whatever time you're listening. What is time in a podcast? Um, Today is one of the final episodes of this season of Wayward Bodies. It's the second last episode and it's a final conversation that I'm having this season. I'm speaking with Ava Ribu-Williams, which feels like a beautiful way to wrap up this season worth of guests. Um, And so much of what we touched on in this conversation, you will see threads kind of weaving through the whole season. So threads of being in communion and connection with the divine and creativity and the ways that these big kind of esoteric topics weave into our our lived experiences. Ava and I talked about living life as a creative act, going slow to go fast, um, liminal spaces and grey areas and how the, the spaces in between allow us to express our wholeness and also the very slow, messy work of liberating ourselves in a society and a culture that is not built for liberation. Let me tell you a little bit about Ava. Ava is a queer British Ghanaian Indian visionary living in London. She acts out life purpose as a creative facilitator, artist and well-being guide who celebrates diversity and finds divinity in all of life. She uses arts and healing-based practices to guide groups into deeper contemplation of issues concerning identity, oppression, and liberation on personal and collective levels. Ava calls us into deeper self-inquiry about our lives and participation in society, planet, and cosmos. She prompts us to get curious and to ask, why are we here? And in what way is our liberation all entangled? It was such a pleasure to get to speak with Ava. Um, I can't wait to share this conversation with you. As always, before we get into it, there are a few announcements. The first being, maybe as you heard last episode, I am training in um, breath work at the moment and really soon I'll be offering practice teaching sessions, which both gives me an opportunity to teach this new material and also gives you an opportunity to access breathwork and the healing potential of breathwork uh, at a discounted rate. So see how you 
feel about it, see what it might be able to do for you. So if you enjoyed my conversation with Jenny Patterson, if that piqued your interest about breathwork and the magic it can weave, then sign up to the mailing list. Folks on the mailing list will be the first to hear about when those slots become available. You can head down into the show notes. There's a link there to sign up, or you can head to elliebauerjohnston.substack.com and sign up there as well. And you'll hear when those sessions become available. The other small announcement is that there is still some space for the autumn winter intake of embodiment guidance. And this is a a deeper dive. The embodiment guidance program is a, a six month container of collaborative support. So we work together to build out what it is, what shape it takes for you so that it can serve you best. Uh, It's designed, however, whatever shape it takes, to bring you into deep connection with yourself, into connection with your body and the wisdom that lives there, into connection with the pieces of yourself that you may have shied away from or tried to leave behind or that need healing or containment or care. It's designed for folks particularly folks in marginalised bodies, so that they can reconnect uh, and really drop into the wisdom that they already have, that is already present. So over the six-month container, what often unfolds is that sessions are a mixture of conversation, embodied practice, breath work, rest practices, magic making, all designed to cultivate your relationship with yourself, your truth, your power in sustainable ways. So it's not just a sort of flash in the pan thing that you do for a couple of weeks. It's really rooted deep into your sense of how you move through the world. So some themes that I have explored with people, some themes that we might explore in one-to-one embodiment work, could be cultivating presence, nervous system safety, and the the capacity to stay with yourself in the midst of everything that a life throws at you. It could be developing awareness of desires and needs, moving beyond who you should be and into who you actually are, so that you can discover practices that nourish you and open space for creativity and pleasure, truth and play. There's also the opportunity to explore tarot and magic making and connection to place as an embodied practice. So weaving intention and mystery and connection to source into your everyday life. And there's also themes of navigating stuckness and letting energy move through. So if you're in a place where you feel really stagnant or stuck or kind of bumping your head against the same thing over and over again, Finding a, a way into your body can help hold yourself in transformation and turbulence and so you can ground and release what isn't working anymore in a way that feels sustainable. So applications for autumn and winter are open. Um, you can head down into the show notes to book a call and we can talk about 
how this might fit into your life, how we might work together. And I think just this dark time of year is a really beautiful time to start this work, kind of like drawing into a little cocoon for yourself and then doing all of this this transformation work so that you can open back up as the, the seasons open back up, especially if you're not in the Northern Hemisphere, of course. Um, so yeah, if you want to book in a call, head into the show notes, book in a call, let's talk about how we could work together. But for now, I will let you get on with the, this conversation with Ava. It's such a delight. Okay, in we go. Well, Ava, thank you so much for joining me. It's a real pleasure to get to properly meet you. I know we've moved in similar circles for a while, but to get to properly sort of sit down and have a chat is a real pleasure. Um, I thought that it might be really nice to kind of start with just a, a bit of a kind of talk about how you came to an embodied path, um, which is you know, strange language, but like how did you find your way into like embodiment praxis and just being in your body? Mm. That's a good question. Um, how far back shall we <laughs> Take it all the way back. <laughs> I've been practicing yoga since I was a child with my grandma. And um, that wasn't so much physical asana practice as just like bhakti yoga and seeing yoga as a way of life. And bhakti is devotional. And, uh, and the way that I would practice yoga with her would be in, for example, chanting together or, or to seeing her in acts of devotional service, which were very spiritual for her, which still are very spiritual for her. And um, seeing the way that we cook or kind of be with each other or go to the temple together as part of devotional practice, which people would call bhakti yoga. Hmm. And then when I was, I, I studied performance art and still see myself very much as an artist, as one of my like kind of top tier identity points. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I I started um, studying performance art when I was in my teens and I was studying dance and I started going to like hot yoga classes as a way of just like really it, it felt like a separate thing for me to, to the way that I had experienced yoga with my grandma but it was kind of like okay this physical practice which I'm going to do so that I can be kind of have my body conditioned for a dance and it's funny because I was so in the expression of movement from such a young age but I wasn't really aware so much of like what do I actually feel yeah <laughs> I was I was moving and and really enjoying that and um, engaging with like this hot yoga is something that actually felt really separate from culture for me, but still was like, okay, great. This is going to be a stretchy thing to do. Yeah. Um, but it didn't, it didn't feel necessarily embodied. Interestingly, um, I felt, well, since I kind of have become much more self-reflective and, and I would say in my body, I realized that I 
got into performance art and acting, dancing, um, just art making with my physical body from a young age because I actually didn't really have a language to talk about how I was feeling or to notice how I was feeling unless it was in making a piece to be observed by people. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of, I, I realized later that I got into, you know, using my, my body as a piece of art and, and creating dance or creating music, acting in order to get into a story, in order to have some kind of catharsis for being able to feel something and yeah, get it out in some way. Yeah, like move it through, but without exactly. without necessarily having the cognition of that's what you're yeah. doing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would say that so I'm I'm 30 years old and I would say that until I was probably about 24, 25, mm. 24, I didn't I really had no language to express the way that I was feeling, even though I was doing so many quote unquote embodied things movement singing like all of these things um even you know food I've always had a very like uh deep and like sometimes kind of conflicting relationship with food but um until I was probably in my mid-20s I didn't have any way of actually like consciously processing I'm feeling this I'm feeling this grief I'm feeling this shame and therefore I'm acting like this mm. So the arts was a huge, huge help for me in kind of processing that before I actually had a language to talk about it and and be present in the feeling of it before I kind of process it and make it into some kind of performance piece with somebody else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think that's one of the fascinating things about art. Like, and I, um, my own experience with you know art and the arts is as you know, I was a drama kid and like similar kind of things of like, you know, having these things outside of yourself, these ways outside of yourself that give you access to what you're experiencing and how how often we're not necessarily uh, given the language to be able to to express that like from a young age. And the beautiful, yeah, the beautiful thing about the arts is that even as a spectator, not necessarily like someone who is who is participating it in in creation of the arts, um, you can still feel into something without having words for it. And that's you know my experience of embodiment generally is like you know the more I I am able to be in my body, the less language matters in a way. Like the you know the feeling can move through without having to be necessarily like picked apart and understood that can come afterwards but the feeling is just the feeling yeah for sure I mean I love I went to see a play like maybe it was it was called the clinic and it was on at the Almeida in North London and um well this was probably like six weeks ago or something like this I don't think it's on anymore but just ah oh, I love the way that art can tune us into another person's experience and yet it feels so personal mm. and as you said like as a spectator sitting in the audience and feeling like god I feel more understood because this thing 
has been expressed. Yeah, because somebody expressed themselves, I can see myself reflected and and see myself differently because of that or like more fully because of that. 100%. It's a very spiritual process. Like that word you just used, reflected, it is. like We are all reflections of one another Mm. and that's beyond just the human world. Like it's in the elements that make up our bodies or I look at the sky and then there's parts of me that are reflected in the sky and mm. in, in inanimate obvi- objects that just pop up and create this like synchronicity for me in a moment of like what I'm experiencing we're all reflections of each other and it's so nice to be able to see that in art but also to this is a big thing for me actually to like to not limit art to like okay, well, this is a play or this is an exhibition. Mm. This is a book of poems. For me, art is like, we are living pieces of art. Yeah, I love that. As we move through our day, we're crafting a piece of art with the trails that we make with the steps that we take in the day. And it's just, it's a piece of art to be observed by awareness, by consciousness, like you might say by shiva like for just the pure enjoyment of allowing everything to be possible Mm. and it's kind of really profound but also throwaway in the sense of well it's never going to be repeated and that's okay because there's going to be something else in the next moment and um yeah I feel like the synchronicities that come up in life I felt for me they come up more when I'm tuning my attention to how much can I be present and how much can I notice and um, they're part of the artwork for me the artwork of just life like I experienced a really big grief at the beginning of this year yeah my brother passed away and it's funny like in even up until this point I, um, which is what, we're in October, we're in November. So this is like 11, nine, 10, 10 months later. Mm. I was, I know I was noticing all of these dead animals, like quite soon after he died. Right. Um, like noticing dead birds and, and like right outside my, the door of my flat, like things like this and just having things appear to me. And it's like, I just saw it as a, okay, well, everything is a reflection of what I'm actually feeling inside right now. Mm, Yeah. And the opening to receive that instead of just being like, oh, gross, a dead bird. Like you you can be, you know, it's almost like when you were talking about how, how you were a dancer, but like, you know, interacting with your body in a very kind of physical, like, meat and bones kind of way rather than as a as a vessel for life to be like moving through or feeling through and I think that it can be very easy to to interact with the world in a like very two-dimensional kind of way where it's like oh this is a this is a thing that is happening and it has no relationship no connection to any other piece of my life but when there's the space to kind of like open to to everything being connected to to all of our experiences you know weaving and 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 being an offering of life you know the divine however you want to to name it um kind of creating through you mm-hmm. and offering you these these pieces to create with mm-hmm. then you know then the dead bird on the street is 
not just, you know, some sad pigeon, but it, it, you know, reflects back your own experience and it shines, you know, perhaps a different, a different light on it or a different opportunity for you to interact with that in a way that isn't just static in, in the moment of when it happened. 100%. And I like to think of, I like to think of that as well in my, like, in my dealings with other humans. <laughs> like, <laughs> my dealings. <laughs> like, you know, you know, when you like, you meet someone and, or maybe you're interacting with someone, you're like, God, they're so annoying. Like, <laughs> or, or whatever. Like, you have, I have some issue with someone who I've met or they're so controlling or something like that. That's often one that I, I pick out like, oh, that's really irritating me about it. It's like, I just try and pause and think, okay, what is it about this person that is triggering me? Because the fact that it's triggering me and it's not just something which is I'm indifferent to means that there's some seed of that, which maybe I can look at in myself as well. Yeah, there's that rub that you, know, you have to have something that it is rubbing against, right? Exactly. Why is that a rub? Yeah. I love that. And I, I think there's, I mean, there's so much that we can go into in, in the conversation about creativity, especially, you know, because it is such a tenant of your, your work and your perspective on life generally. Um, also thinking about like the way that you you have spoken about creativity as activism and I'd love to hear a little about your perspective on that. I imagine it overlaps with the, the like other people are reflecting back a thing in me and vice, you know, and vice versa. Yeah. I, well, this, where should I start with this? There's so much that I could say, but like, um, I feel like for everybody, but especially for people who have been, societally marginalized, mm. black and brown people, queer people, trans people, non-binary people, the list goes on. When you're in a group where society is trying to narrow your personal identity or to somehow kind of fit you into a box which is less than human, you're trying to be minimized, basically. I feel like it's an act of real rebellion and resistance to still be very fully, wholeheartedly in the vision of like, well, what am I still wanting to bring into this world? And also creativity for me, like, you know, I have a very deep relationship with spirit, I would say. And for me, when I step into the flow, because it is a flow of like being, seeing myself as a creative being, it puts me in that flow of the goddess of God. Like, and it, I help, I'm, I can realize that actually I am a creator, but I was also created by the creator. And in, in an act of creation, I also become the creator. I am the creator as well. I am God. I am goddess. And also I am part of the whole. Yeah, so back to creativity as a form of activism, I feel like, you know, 
especially when society has marginalized you to actually step into that flow of no I'm the creator is this hugely empowering place and is very expansive there's this um I read this book it's a lot of people on this podcast might have read it perhaps um it's called emergent strategy and it's um by adrian marie brown i love her so yeah much. yeah she, <laughs> she talks about you know african people west african people being you know moved across the atlantic in the transatlantic slave trade and um going to these lands where you know against their will they're being taken to this place that you know we've never seen before basically mm. and she um she kind of refers to afrofuturism as she as she tells the story and saying that you know afrofuturism in that sense was them taking seeds them taking practices them taking rituals them taking um you know like hair braiding techniques and taking them to this new land where they're going to be morphed into adapting to the surroundings but still acting as a creator mm -hmm. even in that situation and yeah for me afrofuturism is is that is that act of of standing in the flow of God, standing in the flow of goddess and saying, well, I'm going to still create my future, um, regardless of the fact that, you know, in that situation, like our ancestors were dragged out of their, their homes and mm. taken to this new place. And like, even, you know, their their languages were, were ripped away from them because there, there would be, um, intentionally separated from people who spoke their languages and they fucking created a new language like you know just um you know creole and I'm, I'm sure also others but I've been reading specifically about creole and how it was the connection of all of these different um, West African languages and it's just like that is that is creativity as a form of activism yeah like, I mean, there are, there are so many examples. It's not limited to that, but it's like, whatever the situation is, being in that God flow to such a level where it's like, well, I still want to imagine a future where I am at the center and I am thriving. It gives me chills. Yes. It's just like, it's just so deeply transformative and it's such a deep act of love of you know regardless of what this situation might be I still want to I want to add value and worth and magic into the future yeah I, I it's a beautiful kind of overlap that you that you spoke about love just then like as you were talking the the phrase that kept coming to me was this sense of like loving into the future like there is an amazing poem oh my goodness I'm gonna forget who it is I'll find it I'll put it in the show notes <laughs> um but one of the lines and you know it's written by a by an African-American man um and one of the lines he he talks about like you know the 
the love of your ancestors, you know, by braiding seeds into their hair and how that is, you know, essentially just like loving forwards into the future and and the yeah that that sense of vision that sense of like still taking agency in what you know to to kind of speak in like trauma-informed language right like to to reclaim agency in what is a, a massively traumatic event but be like actually I, I can control this I can control the way that I create, you know, create life. I can control the way that I create hairstyles or language or whatever it is. You know, and I, I think of like the queer community or like ballroom culture in the 80s or like all it's, it's the same energy of like we are not given space in dominant culture. We are, you know, actively squashed. Mm-hmm. Um, whichever, you know, whatever marginalized group you want to talk about, like, you know, talk about trans communities right now, like, and how there is still the choice to thrive, still the choice to reclaim self and power and creation and, and the beauty of that. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I think of one of the strangenesses of certainly queer culture as, as, you know, marriages become legal and, you know, like you can, you can be a, the happy, you know, white gay couple with your dog and your kids. And like generally the neighborhood's probably going to accept you depending on, you know, where you live and how there's an element of like, of that creativity lost in assimilation, Mm. Mm. which is, you know, I'm not here for living in a world full of having to fight against hate all the time, but also like, yeah, to, to lose that thread of like deep connection to your agency in the world rather than just fitting in. Yeah. I guess that goes, um, God, even though I have to say, like, (laughs) I've been having this situation recently where it's a family situation. And I recently, I've been really rubbing up against like some heteronormativity in my family and um yeah I guess it's the the opposite of what what you're saying but just the thing of the trodden path being so obviously seen as the straight path and you know my relationship with my partner we've been together for it was five years last week congratulations (laughs) yay queer love (laughs) But you know, like it, it's been five five years, and and still having a, a a vibe from my family of like it's not quite taken as seriously as my younger brother who's been with his girlfriend for a year. Mm. You know? and there's that that vibe of it's like, oh, it's just it's kind of just nestled in in people's unconscious bias, and and also in culture, I will say also in culture that it's kind of just somehow not just not taken as seriously yeah it's um not quite as real somehow yeah yeah it's kind of like well you two are just friends kind of like. <laughs> just real good gal pals you know <laughs> yeah yeah 
Oh, it's interesting. It's interesting because I think one of the other things we were we were sort of circling around talking about is like queerness and non-binary life, but like not just as sexuality, but as a sort of perspective on the world generally. Mm. Um, would you like to kind of wander into those territories a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, non-binary life, like yeah, not just as in yeah, including how people might identify in their in their gender mm. but also not it not just being like that it's not it's not just that for me and I think that oh my god where do I even start with this so <laughs> I'm it. Thinking, like the bullet points that are coming up for me is are like well one the white supremacist projects and then versus or not even versus, but another thing is just um, non-duality mm. and um, non-dual Shaiva Tantra or just understanding existence in a non-dual way. Um, okay, so yeah, so firstly, like, I mean, where, yeah, where to even start? But it's like, I feel like it's it's definitely a mission of white supremacy to make things either black or white mm. it's convenient it's it's easier to to demonize and to kind of separate in that way and so anything that is not obviously okay black or obviously white or obviously man or obviously woman is a threat to that white supremacist culture and this kind of um yeah, it's quite reductive, I would say, in that things have to be, or the full value of a thing has to be in the obvious way of that, the way that that thing appears. It's also very, very capitalist of like, well, unless I can see it, and unless it is exactly as I can see, then it doesn't exist, basically. Yeah. And so it's very kind of anti-spiritual, I would say, and anti-feeling and, yeah, heavily reductive. So a person has to identify with the gender that they were assigned at birth or the way that they look to you because how you see the person and that your eyes judgment of the person is more important more important than actually how the person feels mm. so i would say that that is part of the issue and i think that also i would say it's a threat to to men and to women to have people who don't really identify as either and who challenge the quite rigid boxes around what it has to mean to be a man or what it has to mean to be a woman. And I think the fact that trans people and non-binary people are even like, you know, come into existence with this feeling, with this experience, with these questions is such a divine mission of non-duality to actually act as unfortunately like sometimes the sacrifice it's, it's a sacrificing role because you know 
people are instantly programmed to just hate you or, or be threatened or, by you yeah to be threatened by you yeah but actually it's such a divine role to get to well you don't actually get a lot of people to question but to open up the question of like well what does it actually mean to be a man mm. what does it actually mean to be a woman and that's that's threatening to some people who identify as very strongly in one or the other in a sense that limits what they actually would naturally and intuitively want to express in themselves yeah yeah I think there's um there's such a liminality in the non-binary the trans um space you know between Mm. and you know there is no between it's not like a a line spectrum between man and woman when when you know I think that that can be a, a bit of a um misconception when you talk about like you know the gender spectrum but I always think of it instead like you know when you click on the little color wheel button in your computer and you get that full circle of like all of the colors and instead of it being like you know woman is red and man is blue and trans people are a shade of purple somewhere um but yeah that that gender is and sexuality and like you know all expressions of our internal experience have so much more space and and so much more variance if we allow them to come through as they actually are rather than kind of squashing them into what we think they should be mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you know my expression of woman and feminine and and it is going to be different from yours is going to be different from my partners is going to be different you know from from a trans woman's like but yeah. that doesn't mean that they're on a line or a spectrum they're all just women 100% I mean god I love a liminal space I feel like <laughs> give me the liminal <laughs> in so many parts of of my identity I kind of I felt like I'm I live within the liminal space <laughs> to the point where I was joking with my I went um for lunch with my family last weekend and um there was like a big, big group of us. I think there were like 20 of us to the point where we had these two round tables at this restaurant and the two round tables were together, but of course, like the two round tables. So <laughs> there was like a seat where it's like, okay, not really on that table, not really on that. And I was like, I'll have that one. <laughs> <laughs> Put me in the middle of the Venn diagram. I'm here for it. <laughs> I was literally just saying like, just joking about it and being like this is just me I'm gonna pick the middle space I always I'm always curious in like of all of the options like even you know um me and my partner practice like polyamory or just there's these different things where I I always find myself being like that option but also that one (laughs) (laughs) like I can hold both I can hold all of it like yeah I don't have to choose one way and then be like this is the way that I do it like you know if if that's what speaks to someone then great like you know if there is a a single way where you're like this is the thing that is really working for me then that's amazing but I think that that narrowing can be often kind of externally imposed and you know as a internalized stories of like well I should just have the one thing I should have the one gender I should wear be the person who wears the pants or I should be the person who wears a skirt 
um, you know, I should pick one partner and that's, you know, that's what we do. And for some people that will feel like a really authentic choice. And I don't, I don't want to. Oh yeah. Like I'm, I'm like so monogamous, like deep down in, I have tried polyamory. I have tried like, you know, yeah, cool. Let's see if we can make this work. No, I just, I just want to have one partner who I am devoted to. And like, that's me. Yeah, totally. And that's, you know, that's, it just depends on, yeah, what a person actually feels. But I think, um, yeah, I have noticed that my, my consciousness does kind of like spread off in these different, different branches quite often. But, you know, in terms of, yeah, thinking about just my identity, like I definitely, like even being from two different, like very distinct cultures, mm. you know, mom is Gujarati Indian and my dad's Ghanaian. And, um, you know, I experienced religion in, in those two different ways. And and I, I always seem to kind of find something in the middle, like I ha- kind of have to, of being like, well, actually, no, I don't, I don't um, identify with Christianity. And okay, a lot of the practices of Hinduism, I I feel, I feel in my body, but I don't want to feel like I I have to be part of the club in the sense of of uh, following things that don't necessarily feel, yeah, as an embodied truth for me either. So there's there's always been some way that I've, or even you know being here, like living in the UK, being born here, but still feeling like, eh, I don't know if I'm fully, I don't feel fully from here either. So it's, yeah, it's all a liminal space for me, which it can be, it can be lonely, but also it can be a real, a real vantage point to be able to relate to different people's experiences and to have an authentic view of, authentic experience of like well what do I actually want I don't need to assimilate to that group or that group necessarily like I can find my own way that is might look completely different from everyone else's and that's okay yeah and and I think that's um it kind of speaks to that sense of interconnectedness almost like you know because you are not definitively one thing or another you know because you are open to the space of of everything you know being woven together you get to kind of like hold your your place in the net of interconnectedness without having to be like well that side of the net's wrong though and you know I would say the same for you know back to kind of gender and spirituality like I definitely feel that way about gender as well and I really I really embrace the the masculine and the feminine within me. And that was, it's always been an experience of me that I felt like, oh, I feel like, okay, I'm a woman, but I feel that I have a lot of masculine energy. And I enjoy, I enjoy that feeling and I, it feels right to me. But I would have to say that, yeah, my spiritual practice of, of like non-dualism and Shaiva Tantra and understanding and experiencing the balance between Shakti and Shiva, the divine masculine and divine feminine in that way, I kind of realized that they are, they well, they are both, 
present inherent in every single form of life and that is what I'm talking about when I say like non-binary identities like beyond okay I'm a man or I'm a woman it's like the fact that everything is both like in the energy and the awareness that everything carries there is both and um yeah just being being open to that really yeah and I think that 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 is a not necessarily something that easily is the wrong word but like you know that that is within our culture within western culture the dominant culture that we live in would prefer for something to be exactly what it is Mm. uh and you know it is quite a quite a perspective shift or a paradigm shift within oneself to kind of turn and be like oh no like i i i hold both everything holds you know the how however you want to define it like the, i always find these you know the language for these these things is so slippery <laughs> like whether you talk about divine feminine divine masculine um whether you want to like queer that language a little bit more and you know talk about like mask and femme or like you know active activation and settling like whatever it is you can't just breathe in or you can't just breathe out there is that dance that happens between both of those energies and that kind of expands across all beings yeah you need both that's it it's just that's just the the only it's just this thing you just you need both are necessary and both are so beautiful the toxicity comes when one is one is predominant with the suppression of the other you know that's when the toxicity comes and you're saying just now about you know the dominant culture I feel like it touches back to what I was saying before about white supremacy it's like the it it the this this thing this system needs to be sure yes there's no liminal space here (laughs) it needs to be sure because it needs to 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 know that it knows and if it if it is not, then it's like the threat or the fear of actually not being in control and not being, yeah, completely controlling or 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 sure of exactly what a situation is, what a person is, what life is, not being able to explain everything is deeply threatening when there is no trust in a greater and larger purpose and mystery void that we don't understand, but somehow trust in spirit. So yeah, it's a, it's too much of a threat not to know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, and so in the, um, the rush, the urge to know and be certain and pin things down there is that that squashing, that squashing of, you know, and, and I think it can be easy when you talk about like, you know, white supremacist culture and, and patriarchy and, and capitalism, it can be like, okay, well, you know, the men are the ones doing the squashing, but actually, or, you know, the white people are the ones doing the squashing, but there is a squashing within everyone. There is, you know, the domination of marginalized cultures, but that also involves, you know, men and white people are not okay. <laughs> A lot, you know, there is there's a removal of pieces of your own 
humanity so that you can be in the little box that gets to dominate. Yeah. You you trim down your the edges of your own humanity. Totally. That's also, yeah, white people or, or men get robbed of their humanity and then black people or, or women and trans people, non-binary people get robbed of their agency, but mm. everyone loses. It's like, yeah. um, there's, I really, um, I really respect and I'm so amazed by Alok, Alok Vad, I think it's Alok Vad Menon. Mm. Yeah, I love them. Yeah. So they, you know, they, they, they talk about non-binary identities and, and, and trans people. And, and it's like, and the way that, or even you could say this about, you know, anti-racism work, you know, cisgendered people or, or, or white people sometimes get into this thing of like, oh, well, I'll, I'll accept and I'll, I'll do the work for, for you, you know, for trans people mm. or people or for black people or whatever oh it's it's your issue but let me understand it so that you know I'm doing a good thing for you and it's like no you don't understand like you're also imprisoned Mm -hmm. this is about this is directly about you as well like it's it's about everyone because until we all get to work on this it's not just an issue of the oppressed group yeah, it's not just an issue of the oppressed group needing to be like brought up to the squashedness of like you know trimmed down as well. It's like yeah, doing doing liberation work is not a gift to the marginalized. It's no. a gift to everyone. Totally, totally. My cousin, who I love so much, she has this analogy of like um, there's a block of flats, and in the top flat there there's a leak right and the person in the top flat doesn't know that there's a leak yet but there's a leak and it's going down into the flat below and the person from the flat below comes up to the top flat and is like hey there's a leak happening and then the person in the top flat looks around their flat and they're like I don't know I don't see a leak I just I've got no idea of the leaky situation and the bottom person's like no really there's water coming through the ceiling like it's flooding my apartment and the top person's like oh well I guess I'll try and sort it out for you then maybe or maybe they just ignore it but it's like you don't understand the whole building is going to crumble if we don't look at the leak eventually it's not just about the bottom flat like Mm. oh let me just fix it for you it's like your floor is going to cave in. Mm-hmm. Are you interested in that? Like, it's also about you. And I say, when I say you, I just mean like the group, you. I'm not yeah. just pointing at you. Al. That's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm a cis white woman. I've got some stuff. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But it, it's um, this this work of, of coming back to ourselves and piecing apart, like, you know, where where there is suppression, where there is like squashing down of our own humanity and where that is, you know, where there is internalized language and and story of like domination and white supremacy and capitalism and all of this, like it's slow and messy work and, and yet, and so uncomfortable. And yet it's the work that, 
that opens you up. It's the work that frees you. It's, you know, it's liberation work, which is obviously not unique language, but yeah, it is liberatory. Mm-hmm. I like the, you, you said um, something about it, you know, liberation work being slow and messy and, um, it just reminded me I'm, I'm writing this song at the moment um, about slowness and how it's the fastest way. <laughs> I love that. And it, for me, the way that I'm seeing it, it really is the fastest way. Like time just passing doesn't necessarily create change. I have to decide. I have to make a change and become conscious about something that it is that I'm struggling with in order for it to change. It won't just change because time passes, you know, like, and I just actually going slow and me settling and being present enough within my experience to notice what is happening for me around any trigger, around any trauma, is the quickest way to actually move through it and change it. Mm-hmm. It won't just change by time passing. Yeah. And I, I think, um, you know, thinking about grief, I've been thinking about grief a lot recently. You know, I had a conversation with um, Jennifer Patterson, who is a grief worker and a breath worker. And like, since then, I've just been like, really in grief in general, like lots of different forms. And I know that that's, part of certainly your current and recent experience as well but yeah like that I think our our cultural story of grief is like you know time heals the wounds you know time heals all wounds um which perhaps is partially true and you can also tuck your grief away and it will burst out of the cupboard and time is not going to heal that wound like you have to be able to also be in the discomfort of being with grieving that's exactly what i'm talking about it's like if we just stuff it away it it won't be healed actually it will it can just fester and it can get more entangled with our shadow and and the kind of literally the kind of decay of our bodies like i'm not even being dramatic when i'm saying this like Mm. Grief already for me has, it's it's like on so many different levels, but it's also like a physical thing. Like I can feel physical changes in my in my body as a as a response to this year. Like it's a it's a very physical thing. But for me, like to just continue and, and push on as if this as if the whole world hasn't changed, because for me, that's how it feels. It feels like the whole world has changed. Like it would just, I feel like it would just get worse. It would just get worse. Yeah. Um, So yeah, that's what, when I say like I, slow is the fastest way, like to, I've my, my life and my routine and the way that I've kind of been putting things together this year has been so different to how it was before. And like, I've needed more time. Yeah. I've needed to just be like, okay, well, I don't feel like getting up this morning. And that's just, it's had to be like that sometimes. Mm. 
and you know like it's hard because the, you know sometimes there's also like financial implications of that and there have been some for me but I'm still touch wood I'm still okay but like it it just if that's the way it needs to be then it's just actually the quickest way to just allow myself to just do that or to just be like in September I was like you know I had different friends and different uh kind of work people or whatever that were kind of like let's meet up let's talk about this thing or whatever and I just had a month where I was just like I'm not going to speak to anyone this month <laughs> September is a no <laughs> literally it was just like okay I can't I don't actually have the capacity so to push it it's not going to make the situation any better it's actually quicker to be slow now because that's what my body is saying rather than what continue be fast and become to feel even more weighted like physically weighted down to the ground continually like where is that going to end yeah yeah it does not end well I can't imagine like because you only you only have so much capacity yeah and you can you can burn it yeah at some point at some point it catches up yeah I mean I ask where does it end it's funny because I know where it ends because I've done that so much yeah right we all know this pattern (laughs) (laughs) I know where it ends like when I was I was uh I was probably I must have been like 22 or 23 years old like I was actually I got sick suddenly and was hospitalized like I almost died in this in this hospital in Woodford in Australia (laughs) in Queensland oh my god I'm sorry (laughs) it was no but seriously like I I became sick very suddenly but it was like when I actually processed it afterwards I'm like fuck I just had a near-death experience it was because I was so burnt out that I ended up you know I I I got a, a a kidney infection and then it just spread, but it spread so quickly because I had already passed all of the stops mm, mm. without even being in my body to realize that that's what I had done. It's like when you rob, how many of the stops are robbed again and again? It's like, well, it becomes more difficult to recover. And that's on a personal level in our bodies, but also on an institutional and systemic level, like systemic oppression again and again robs us of the resources and the stops that we might use to quote unquote save ourselves Mm. and therefore whole communities get further entrenched in grief and trauma and not being able to recover yeah I'm conscious that like you know we are coming towards the end of our time and (laughs) I was like, as I just made that last point. No, I feel like all of my conversations this season, like we've got to a point where it's like, everything's fucked. And then I'm like, cool, let's turn this around. (laughs) Um, But I do think that there is a piece in like, in turning to look at the hard, whether it's grief, whether it's, you know, the discomfort of like uh, the privileges or the marginalizations or like, you know, the difficulties of whatever we have in our life, like having the capacity to turn and hold what is hard also gives us space to imagine new worlds and imagine you know imagine what it's like to honor slowness when it's required and imagine what it's like to you know you know 
re-approach um, uh, our work in a way that feels generative and rather than draining, or like you know, approach our life in a way that feels generative rather than draining. And I wonder, as a way of kind of like closing, I would love to know like what are some worlds that you're imagining into being right now? Maybe you've already answered this, but maybe there's something else that wants to come through. Mm. Um, I just applied actually for this um, this grant. This I just put in this funding application speaking about this so it feels quite quite present for me um that specifically I am imagining or putting action into creating a world where black and brown people global majority people and lgbtqia plus people are empowered to understand themselves as creators and to get into the flow of of actually continued continuing to imagine the futures that we want to live in so the future that I want to live in is where all of those groups are yeah empowered and inspired and in connection with one another to to keep creating this like thriving and and like leadership from people in these groups. And for me, when, when that empowerment and that sense of creative agency and that sense of life as art is, is present in like the most marginalized people in society, it's not at the exclusion of people who are experiencing a lot of like privilege necessarily in society. It's actually like if the people right at the quote unquote bottom are actually taken care of in that way of their empowerment and their agency, for me, that means that actually everyone is taken care of because even the people who have been the most marginalized have the space in that way. So that's what I'm hoping for. Connection, community, and creative empowerment. Yeah, seeing ourselves as part of spirit and in that flow. I want to live in that world too. Um, that Let's do it. That sounds great. I'm in. Well, thank you. It's been such an absolute pleasure to get to chat with you and hear all of the amazing wisdom that lives within you. Do you want to let people know where they can find more of your work, where they can find what you share with the world? Yeah. Um, so for now, you can follow me on Instagram, which is Ava Zara. Um, and my website is avazara.com. Next year, there's going to be more projects and programming like some online courses and and hopefully also some like storytelling projects so for now just stay tuned to those channels whilst I go slow to be fast yes do it <laughs> I love it um all the links will always be in the show notes and all that sort of stuff as well but um for now thank you so much thanks Al thank you Ugh, isn't Ava a delight um Massive, massive gratitude to Ava Riby-Williams for joining me for today's episode. 
all of the details of their work and where to find more of it are down in the show notes, including a link to her website and to her Instagram where you can go see what she's up to. If you appreciate these conversations and you want to help support the show, I mean, this is an entirely listener-supported show that probably isn't a surprise to you. There's no massive funding backing me here. Then yeah, your support is always welcome. Please subscribe, rate, review, do all of those podcast things um, and share the show with people you think would enjoy it. Recommendations and word of mouth really are the most beautiful and organic way to get the show in more people's ears. Um, which helps support me and it in general. Um, You can find more of my work at my website, anotherpractice.com. And you can find the links for booking in uh, a call about one-to-one embodiment guidance down in the show notes, as well as a link to join the mailing list, which is my other favorite way to communicate. If you have thoughts or feelings or opinions about today's episode or any of the other episodes of Wayward Bodies, then feel free to drop me an email at waywardbodies at protonmail.com. And last but not least, this episode is edited by the radiant Jolly Kelly of Spreading Fire Studios. She is the best and this podcast would not get made without her. Um, So she is eternally showered in thanks and praises. Okay, that brings us to the end of this penultimate episode for the season. Until next time, big love.